0: So good to see you here tonight. Hopefully, you got your uh, packet of information as you uh, came in there. Uh, we are going to be in Revelation chapter number 15 as we are just moving right along through the book of Revelation. I'm uh, planning on us probably being together about four more times uh, for us to finish this up, and we will be done uh, here. Um, uh, just to make a mental note, uh, those of you that uh, are here and those that are online, August the 11th we will not have class because we are having our Vacation Bible School. So that'll be that uh, week we will not have our Wednesday night class. And if you've been tuning in online and maybe wonder why I'm in front of this blue screen here, what's going on uh, here behind us is all this is decorations for our Vacation Bible School that's coming up and that's going to be happening here uh, August the 9th through the 13th. And so uh, plan on that, it's going to be a great time uh, for that uh, there as we go go into that, so I'm so excited for that. So we are in chapter number 15, uh, hopefully you have the packets there, we're going to be moving uh, into this. Now we are moving from uh, the parenthetical chapters that we had been looking at there that are giving us... Um, uh, all the key players that were playing uh, uh, there last week. We ended with Christ and the victory that we were at the very end of the tribulation period. And we saw the victory that Christ is victorious, that God is victorious, and all of that. And now we're coming back into the chronological order of. The tribulation period. We've gone through the seven seals. We've gone through the seven trumpet judgments. Now we're going to move into the seven bowl or vial judgments. I'm going to refer to them as bowl. You may have heard them as vial judgments. uh, Not as as. Yucky judgments, vials like pouring out there, but it's we're going to use the word bowl there. But they are vile judgments as well. So, you know, sick and gross and all that kind of stuff. So I hope you haven't eaten too much uh, for supper because this gets pretty graphic and it's pretty gross. So uh, let's jump into it. Now as we come into chapter number 15, chapter number 15 uh, is the prelude to the judgment. So there's a little gap here. Uh, Although, even though chapter 15 is the shortest chapter In the book of Revelation, it sets up the magnitude of what these judgments are going to be. And these judgments are going to take us through the end of the tribulation uh, period there. It's going to take us all the way through from the middle to the uh, end there to the battle of Armageddon and the closeout of the tribulation uh, period. All right. So we see here as we come to uh, number one in our notes, we're going to look at God's vengeance revealed. God's vengeance revealed in verses one. and 2 of chapter 15. And before we jump into that, let's, uh, let's pray. Father, thank you for our time here tonight. Thank you that we can study your word. Lord, now be with us and teach us and help us to apply these truths uh, that we see here that apply to our lives and uh, help us to have a heart for the lost as we realize what is going to be taking place uh, in the very near future. Lord, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Number one, the vengeance revealed. This is God's vengeance revealed. Verse 15, uh, verse one of chapter 15. He says, Then I saw another sign in heaven, great and amazing. Seven angels with seven plagues, which are the last. For with them, the wrath of God is finished. And I saw what appeared to be a sea of glass mingled with fire, and also those who had conquered the beast and and its image and the number of its name, standing beside the sea of glass with harps of God in their hands. Let's stop there. So John now moves into another vision, as we've we've seen many times. I've seen another vision, the same terminology he's used. What he sees is seven angels. And these seven angels have the seven plagues or will have the seven plagues of the bold judgments that will be poured out. As we've seen throughout all of this, God has used angels to pour out his wrath, his judgment on the earth. And we are seeing that happen here as well. Now, when it says that there are seven plagues, this is not dealing with plagues like diseases. Uh, The Greek word that is actually used here literally means a blow or a wound, to, to hit Or to cause a wound. And that's to deal with or to talk about or give a picture of as we'll see the rapidness of these judgments taking place. These plagues um, will be poured out. And so John emphasizes that these are the last and most severe of all of the judgments. So you have heard me say all the way through this. And and you'll see it when we get to the very end of this. I'll I'll repeat what I'm going to say right here. You've you've heard me say all the way through this, you ain't seen nothing yet. Guess what? You're going to see it tonight. Okay? You're going to see it all come to a conclusion. You're going to see the worst of the worst happen in these last judgments. The wrath of God is finished. It is completely poured out. It is completely done. Now, the good news is the wrath of God will be finished tonight tonight as we see the end of the tribulation period the bad news is is that if you are alive at this point it was going to be extremely difficult for you to remain alive during these next seven judgments people will many will come to the end those who are saved will endure all the way to the end those who are lost will endure all the way to the end but we are going to see in rapid succession the wrath of God poured out at its peak in these seven judgments John makes mention of what he sees when he's looking there. He sees a sea of glass there mingled with fire. Uh, There's really not a lot of information as to what this sea may be uh, there. Uh, The fire there represents, uh, as fire always does in Scripture, most often does in Scripture, refers to judgment. So when you see in, in, in the Scriptures, we in our Western world have taken the word fire to mean power, and we use it that way in our Western culture. But when it's in referencing the Scriptures... 9.9% of the time out of 10, the word fire in Scripture means judgment, okay? So, you know, when we as Christians go, I'm all fired up for Jesus, right? Well, that's not fired compared to what the Bible uses, the term fire. We need to recognize that because those terms are used quite a bit in our society, in our world today, uh, where people, literally, people are using in, in worship songs and stuff like that, God, pour your fire down on me and stuff like that. Uh, when you are singing that in a biblical context, you're asking God to consume you with fire and to judge you, <laughs> right? All right, so probably not the best thing for you to be singing, okay? Uh, so, uh, but our Western culture tries to turn that and change that um, in what it's doing. So as John sees this sea of glass mingled with fire, the fire representing the judgment of God there, the sea of glass just could be a sea, whatever it may be um, there, John also sees a group of people, and the group of people that he sees standing there are those who were victorious over the beast and his image and the number of his name. In other words, these are tribulation saints. These are saints who have died because they accepted Christ instead of receiving the mark of the beast. They overcame the beast there um, and uh, overcame him. Unfortunately, they, uh, they overcame him by accepting Christ, but unfortunately that meant that they lost their life. As a result of that. And so, because we're in heaven here and he sees this. And then he sees... Uh, them holding harps in their hand, and the reason why they're holding harps is they're going to get ready to worship God. But I thought it important to write in your notes here. I do not believe, absolutely do not believe, that this is a picture of what you'll be doing all of the rest of eternity. You will not be holding a harp, sitting on a cloud, strumming away for all of eternity. That's not what that's talking about. That's not that's not what's there. Okay, so so don't don't get in your mind that you're just going to be. Uh, laying back on a nice fluffy cloud, strumming away on your harp all through eternity there, because that's not what's going to happen. But what's going to happen here with them having the harps is they are worshiping God because their prayers are going to be completely answered. And we've seen this carry all the way through the book of Revelation. Different times we've seen where God's judgment is fulfilling and answering the prayers of those who were uh, slain, the tribulation saints. Remember under the fifth seal, they cried out for vengeance. And again, we've seen different areas where, yes, this is, this is answering that, answering that. We are at the culmination that every prayer that has ever been prayed uh, in this is going to be completely and uh, 100% uh, answered. And so we see here the time has come. God's wrath in these final judgments is the answer to their prayers and they praise God for it. And this is where in verses 3 and 4 we see the praise that they sing to God. So number two in your notes the praise of God's character. Now they praise God, they worship God because of the fact that he is going to pour out his wrath, he is going to bring vengeance. But When we read this section, we need to understand, we need to look very carefully, the the verses here explain to us exactly why God should be worshipped, and exactly why, or what the motivation is of His wrath being poured out. So verse number three, and they sing the song of Moses, the servant of God, and the song of the Lamb, saying, great and amazing are your deeds, O Lord God the Almighty, just and true are your ways, O King of the nations. Who will not fear, O Lord, and glorify your name? For you alone are holy. All nations will come and worship you, for your righteous acts have been revealed. So that's the song that they sing in worshiping and praising God. Now, the song reveals the motive for God's justice. While there's great joy and excitement that the justice of God is going to be poured out, His vengeance is poured out, everything is going to be made right because He's a holy God, the motivation really isn't justice. The motivation for what God is doing and having this judgment is His holy, righteous character. You see, the point is, is that, yes, in the end, as a result of His judgment... All of the prayers of the saints that were killed and martyred during the tribulation period are answered, and vengeance is poured out and justice is poured out. But God doesn't pour it out because, necessarily, they prayed and asked Him. He pours it out because God is a holy God. He pours it out because God is a just God. And for God to allow any sin not to be punished means that He is not a holy, just God. You understand? For God to say, hey, oh, we're just going to let that go by. Now, how does God deal with, with judgment, and then how does, how does God's grace play into this? Now, here's the thing. When we come to God and ask for forgiveness of our sin, His grace washes away that sin, and no judgment has to be put upon it because the payment has already been paid through Jesus Christ. But for the lost who will not repent and do not ask for forgiveness of their sin, that sin has to be judged by God. It comes down to two points, and this is something in all of life that we need to understand. Either we allow and accept what Christ did on the cross to take away the wrath of God for the complete payment of sin, and we, we allow Christ to take that which he did, and we accept what he did, or we go through life, and we do our own sins, and we pay for those sins, and the end result of that payment has to be hell. That's it. Okay? So either we accept what Jesus has done in paying the price, or we pay for the judgment of our own sins in hell. And so the motivation that, that God is, uh, that, that's causing him to bring these judgments on the earth, the motivation for that is his righteous, holy, uh, and, and justice of him being a righteous, holy God there. Does that make sense? Okay, So he's, he's doing this because of his judgment. That's what the song says. Uh, lays out so it is his holiness that demands this righteous judgment the song refers to uh, as the song of Moses and of the lamb and this represents God's faithfulness to deliver his people those who will accept deliverance he's faithful to deliver in Moses's time remember we have the uh, the children of Israel being taken out of Egypt Right? They were in captivity. Under Egyptian captivity, Moses was the one that led the people out of, uh, from Pharaoh's armies. Christ, of course, the, the Lamb, uh, is the source of the deliverance from the Antichrist and his eventual judgment and destruction. So the song extols God's perfect and holy character, which demands that the wicked and sinful must be judged and punished for their sin. And so the song concludes looking toward a and joyful anticipation of the millennial kingdom. So he says, it says here at the end of the song, it says, For you alone are holy, all nations will come and worship you for your righteous acts have been revealed. Well, that's going to take place in the millennium. When everybody, when those who are alive go into the millennium, from every nation on the earth that's going to be in the millennial reign, uh, we will then be ruling and reigning with Christ. We'll be with Him and we'll be worshiping Him and praising Him during that time. So uh, that's when we will all be together uh, in praising Him there. And so, since that's going to be the case, then John lays out for us God's unfolding plan in verse number 3. The last group here, the last Uh, seven judgments he lays out exactly how this is going to take place in verse number uh excuse me five through eight after this i looked and the sanctuary of the tent of witness in heaven was open and out of the sanctuary came the seven angels with the seven plagues clothed in pure bright linen with golden sashes around their chests And one of the four living creatures gave the seven angels seven golden bowls full of the wrath of God who lives forever and ever. And the sanctuary was filled with smoke from the glory of God and from his power. And no one could enter the sanctuary until the seven plagues of the seven angels were finished. So John's vision now moves from the worshiping saints to the group of angels that have been selected to pour out this judgment. God appoints seven angels here, and we see that as, he, as, as John sees this vision, we see um, that the new vision that he has is going to be the pouring out of seven bowl judgments. Now, before he describes this event, he describes the seven angels. Now, the reason why he does this is that he's not interested in the wardrobe of the angels, okay? It's like, like a little fashion show here. Here they have bright light gowns and a nice little gold sash, and it's just so wonderful. He's, he's not, doing, not doing that. He's pointing out the fact that the white and the bright shows the purity of the of the angels, the righteousness that God has. It is right for him to pour out these judgments there. Uh, the gold um, showing the, the glory of God uh, with the angels there. And he says that they've come out, and they, they are the ones that have been chosen. They come out of the temple of the tabernacle of testimony in heaven. Now, what is that referring to? Well, what it's referring to uh, is the holies, uh, holy of holies. He says it comes out of the temple of Of the tabernacle of the testimony, and the temple of the tabernacle of testimony was the name of the tabernacle in the Old Testament in Numbers chapter 1, verse 50. Remember the tabernacle that the children of Israel carried with them? A big, huge tent that they set up when they stopped, and and, and they set up the whole tabernacle uh, there. That was called, the whole tabernacle was called the tabernacle of the testimony. And the temple that was in the center of the tabernacle of the testimony was the Holy of Holies. We see that uh, most prominent in Solomon's temple there, when the temple was made, you have the the outer courts, and then you have the inner court, you have the holy place, and then you have the Holy of Holies, where the high priest would go once a year for the atonement of their sins. The point to this is, is that these angels come out of the Holy of Holies, And the point that's given here is this is a symbol or a sign to show, once again, to make the point. And if you haven't got it by now, you've got to have it here. Every single one of these things that are happening in the tribulation period, whether Satan does it or whether the wrath of God is poured out in these judgments, God is in complete control. One hundred, ten percent, everything happens because God is the one that is exacting this judgment, pouring this out, okay? And so we see that uh, God is the one doing this. We see also that uh, the bowls of, of the wrath of God are given to these angels. Now, it's very interesting to note, and, and this goes along with the rapid succession that we're going to see of the, these judgments. The word bowl here is not a bowl that we recognize as a bowl. Okay? So, so if I get a bowl, it's going to be this big, huge, round thing, right? You know? Bowl, right? You are are you with me? Okay. It's got to be deep enough to hold three or four scoops of ice cream, right? I mean, that's that's a bowl, right? You with me? Or salad, salad, if if you will. Okay. Either way, either way. All right. Uh, No, okay. I got some looks. So everybody's with me with the ice cream. I don't need to go on. Okay, ice cream there. Okay. The bowl that the Greek word is talking about here would be equivalent for us to a saucer, a plate that has just a little little divot in in it there it goes down just a little bit it's not this real big deep bowl the idea here is that when the bible says that these bowls were poured out the idea is not that they were poured out in a slow manner it's more that when you have the saucer it was tossed out it was thrown out meaning that this was a, a rapid fast pouring out uh, of this that covered you completely um, that was a a overwhelming deluge of, of stuff, okay? So uh, it was more of, of being able to, to be poured out that way, a saucer, if you would, throwing that out in the rapidness of it. So what we've seen and what we're going to see here with this imagery is the fact that these judgments are going to be poured out very fast. They're going to be very intense, very powerful, and they're going to hit in rapid succession, and we'll talk about that more as we go into chapter 16. Now, as the wrath of God is being poured out, we see here, John sees the conclusion of this uh, prelude into what's going to be coming. We, he sees at the very end, um, and the sanctuary was filled with the smoke of the glory of God and from the, uh, and from His power. So the temple where they're at, where he's looking and seeing, sees the smoke come in and totally feel the area. The, the smoke is the glory of God. And it's so interesting to note that The glory of God, it shows His majesty, His glory, His supernatural power. It also refers to His wrath. The entire sanctuary is filled, and no one can enter that sanctuary until the plagues are over because God's glory is residing in that sanctuary, in that temple. Very important to note. This is very important because we are seeing this happen in our day and age right now, as, as a little bit of a side note. Okay. And I want you to hear me on this because this is so very important. Here it says, because the glory of God is in the, in the sanctuary, you can't go in. In the Old Testament, they had, uh, the tabernacle of the meeting place with, with with God where the glory of God would come down and they would go in the tabernacle. When the glory of God came into the tabernacle, uh, there that they had, no one could enter in that because of the glory of God. Remember when Moses was on the mountaintop that God hit him in the cleft of the rock to see just the afterglow of the afterglow of his glory. Are you seeing a picture here? God is so holy, so almighty, so wonderful that we cannot be in his presence and see his glory and live. But yet, there's a movement in churches today that are talking about God's glory cloud being in the sanctuary that, that, God, that, that there's this dust that comes up and we're to pull in God's glory that is a lie from the pit of hell if you, if that was God's glory every person there would be consumed and burnt up instantly that's how holy God is Don't get caught up in these fanciful little things, this this glitter stuff, these little gym things that are going on. All of that is a lie from the devil. That is not God. That is absolutely not God because God is so holy, so perfect, so awesome, that if that was actually truthfully the case, you would be consumed because of his glory. Moses just saw the afterglow of the afterglow of the afterglow of the afterglow of God's glory, and he was radiant for months. He had to cover his face because it shone. His whole countenance was, was totally changed when he came down from the mountain. That's how holy and awesome God is. All right? So when he says that, I just wanted to throw that out. That, that, that's free. You don't have to pay for that. That's just a little extra there. Okay? Throw that in there. But we need to, we need to understand this God that we, we serve. We need to understand that there's a lot of stuff out there that people are throwing out in the name of God that is absolutely False. And we need to know why it's false. We need to know why it's wrong. And this is one of those areas that I've I've seen uh, in, in these churches that that are going haywire out there, and they're saying this stuff. And it is a ploy of the devil. It is part of the delusion that is going to be a part of the the end times that is out there. So we need to we need to know this. Okay, so. So we see this, the, the sanctuary completely filled. We see it filled with this holiness. And now we move into chapter 16 that lays out specifically for us the actual judgments, these last judgments that are going to take us through the last end of the tribulation period. So we, we saw uh, through this we, uh, the vengeance of God revealed, the praise of, of his character, and the unfolding plan. any questions on chapter 15 of what I've just laid out for you at all? All right, let's get into these judgments in chapter number 16, all right? There are some that come to this chapter and say that these judgments simply are repeating the seven seals and the seven trumpet judgments. While there are similarities, and there have been all the way through similarities, through the seals and even into uh, the trumpet judgments there, while there are similarities, there are more differences there's similarities, but the biggest difference is this. We, God has upped the ante, has increased the magnitude. Uh, these judgments are going to be unbelievable, okay? This is, this is just going to be absolutely huge. So as we come to the first bold judgment, verses 1 and 2, we see here this first judgment. And John says, once again, I heard a loud voice from the temple telling the seven angels, go, out, go and pour out on the earth the seven bowls of the wrath of God. So the first angel went and poured out his bowl on the earth, a harmful and, pain, and harmful and painful sores came upon the people who bore the mark of the beast and worshiped. Its image Now, John hearing this loud voice again, this is the voice of God being uh, spoken. God speaks now and commands the angels. Now listen, he commands the angels to go out and do this. But he commands all seven of them to go at the same time. And so these events are going to happen in uh, in order one two three four five six seven they're going to be poured out but because God has commanded them all to go at one time I want you to understand that these things are going to happen in such rapid succession it's as if it's like one two three. Four, it's just that's how fast it's going to go. It, there's not going to be any time in between these. There's not going to be uh, much of any reprieve. It's going to be, this is going to happen on Monday, the first thing, and the next thing is going to happen on a Wednesday, right? I mean, that's how fast it's going to be. The trumpet judges weren't that quick. There, there were, uh, you know, weeks and, and months in between. Uh, we are down to the end of the tribulation period. And this is where it really gets to the point that if God did not shorten the days, no one would be able to make it through. That's what these judgments represent there. And so he pours out this first judgment. This is a very significant judgment. This, is ju- this judgment is different than any other uh, of the other judgments that we've seen because it is s- uh, so specific. All right? Um, the first angel responds... Dumps out, again, this is a dumping out of uh, this, an overwhelming deluge of God's wrath. And a loathsome and malignant sore on those who have taken the mark of the beast happens. So it's not just one, it's several sores. Uh, this This judgment is reminiscent of the judgment back in the Egypt of the boils. Remember the boils, uh, the ten plagues in Egypt there? This is reminiscent of that. However, this, these sores, the, the term is given as loathsome and malignant. The Greek words here describe these sores as being swollen, festered, painful, and incurable. They're cancer. They're cancerous, malignant sores. Picture in your mind. A boil that is so big, or boils that are so big on your arm, that just barely touching the skin, it would burst. It's so swollen up with infection, so so festering, oozing, seeping. Aren't you glad you had a good dinner? Feeling good? All right. Uh, horrible, painful, painful. All over their bodies, they, they get these. And now it's specific only to those who have received the mark of the beast, which tells us that there are those who are still alive that have, put, that, that have not received the mark of the beast. They may or may not have put their faith and trust in Christ, uh, but they're leaning towards putting their faith and tr- trust in Christ since they haven't taken the mark of the beast. Uh, we have the remnant of Israel that's still uh, here that we know is going to go all the way through. So this is specific to only those who have taken the mark of the beast. And this is the first judgment. So they are covered with these boils, with these sores uh, that are happening and and taking place uh, there. Now we move to the second bowl, which is a little which is more universal here. And we see here in verse number three, it says the second angel poured out his bowl into the sea, and it became like the blood of a corpse, and every living thing died that was in the sea. Now We've seen this judgment before, all right? But let me point something out to you. Did you notice that the sores came in verse 2, and the dumping out on the sea, water turning the blood, came in verse 3? You know why? Because the sores are still hurting them while the second judgment is being poured out. Do you understand? That's how, so, you know, that's how fast this is happening. These guys are covered with these boils, and while they're covered with boils, the water now turns to blood, now, this is talking about the seas and the oceans. This is all of the major, uh, large bodies of water that are on the earth. And it says that it, that it turns into the blood of a corpse. Pretty specific, isn't it? It's not just water turning to blood. It's not like liquid water turning to red, okay, uh, there. This is actually turning into the blood of a corpse. So think about, if you will, what the blood of a corpse is would be like uh and so you know so we, we've seen this this judgment uh in egypt where the water turned to blood we saw this in the second trumpet trumpet judgment i could say that the second trumpet judgment but the difference is, is that this blood is not liquid it's unoxygenated clotted concealed blood the blood of a dead person doesn't circulate, doesn't move, and as it sits there, it coagulates, doesn't it? I mean, th- this, this has substance to it, you know? Um, oh, I could be real gross right now. I won't do that. I'm sorry. Anyways, okay, so this is just dis- disgusting, and it covers all of the oceans and all of the seas of the world. When we saw this in the second trumpet we saw that only one-third of the uh, oceans were affected, But now every sea on the earth will be like this. Every sea creature, every sea creature in the seas and oceans will die. They will be floating on top, belly up, all over the ocean in this disgusting seawater. The putrid stench of the rotting sea life and the smell of this water turning to blood would be overwhelming. John MacArthur says in his book, uh, because the time is near, as I've been using to help with the study, says the transforming of the world's seas into future pools of stinking death will be the be graphic testimony to the wickedness of man and a reversal to the day when God originally gave life to all sea creatures. All of the oceans, all the seas. And then, of course, we move to the third bowl, judgment, right on the heels of that. Um, And we see here in verse number 4, "...the third angel poured out its bowl into the rivers and springs of water, and they became blood. And I heard the angel in charge of the water say, Just are you, O Holy One, who is and who was. For you brought these judgments, for they have shed the blood of saints and prophets, and you have given them blood to drink. It is what they deserve." And I heard the altar saying, yes, Lord God, the Almighty, true and just are your judgments. Right on the heels, the third bowl is poured out, and this takes care of the rivers and the springs. And they turn into blood exactly like the seas did. Again, we see here the complete devastation of the world's water supply. We saw already that the second and third trumpet judgments dealt with one third of all the water. The two witnesses that were uh, on the earth had the ability to shut up the sky for rain and also to turn water into blood. Now we see that these two bold judgments take away all of the remaining water on the earth. Literally water will become as precious as gold. Now, with all of that water gone, you need to understand that, that you can only go about three days without water and live. Well, we know that people live longer than just three days here. So there has to be some type of water source that is, is there. We don't know what it is. The oceans and the, the, the rivers and, and the lakes, everything is turned into blood, however, it doesn't, we don't know if there's water that's been stored, you know, storage tanks of water, whatever there might be, stuff like that. The biggest truth is, though, is that it will be very scarce and it will be very rationed, if there is any whatsoever there, okay? So the question has to be asked, how in the world does a God of compassion, mercy, and grace send such a judgment on the world? And even as we read this, we think to ourselves, man, how in the world is, this is just absolutely crazy. And we see here that the angel of the water, which is an amazing title, isn't it? The angel of the water comes and um, stands up for God's character here. So the angel of the water, you know, it's interesting that there is an angel In charge of the waters, that's here, the angels in charge of the waters, which is interesting to me to think, you know, on a side note that, wow, you know, does God's angels are in charge of of everything, you know, kind of, you know, does God have angels in charge of all, you know, maybe there's an angel in charge of the pizza. Hey, 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 you know, uh, you know what you know, you know, what I'm talking about. Uh, the angel in charge of things is pretty amazing. So the angel that's in charge of the water, that's in charge of all this water happening here, the angel uh, begins and says, Righteous are you, O holy one. He says, God's judgment on sinful man is righteous. It is righteous because he is perfect and holy. Again, we are brought back to the fact that God is a holy Per, uh, perfect righteous judging God he has every right to do this God's perfect holiness demands that the judgment be poured out and so he the angel says here that that um, it is good and we, so we see this repeated from even from chapter 15 there that God is righteous and this is right for him to do the angel continues this and he says they poured out the blood of the saints and the prophets and you gave them blood to drink look now they deserve it they deserve it. So God is not doing anything that they don't deserve. Right? The, so the, the judgment equals the sin. The judgment equals, and God, God is always equal, always perfect. God never overjudges. God never underjudges. The judgment that God gives is absolutely perfect for the sin that is uh, committed. And we see that here. Uh, God is completely just in His judgment because they deserve it. They shed innocent blood. They killed innocent people. They killed the prophets, the two witnesses. They've killed prophets over the millennia. Uh, The saints there, they killed, uh, who didn't take the mark of the beast. These innocent people killed them. They shed much blood, so it is fitting that they are made now, as, as the verse says, to drink blood. They are now made to deal with this. And so in the end, they have earned the judgment they receive. Listen very carefully. Any judgment and every judgment that God ever pours out on any person is always 100% perfectly deserved. Do you hear me? God's judgment is never wrong because he is perfect and holy. If his judgment was wrong, he could not be a holy God. If his judgment was unfair, he could not be a holy God. Therefore, his judgment is fair. And if we, are to look, if we were to look at the sin to the judgment it, through the eyes of God, through the perfect holiness of God, we would say, absolutely, this is fair. This is right. This is just. So he's poured out this third bowl, and now all of the oceans are covered. And then we hear, John, John hears another voice coming from the altar it's not clear who's actually speaking here, but again, coming from the altar, they repeat, "Yes, O Lord God, true and righteous are your judgments." Again, this could be a reference back to the saints underneath the altar who were pr- crying out for vengeance for those who have killed them. Yes, God, your judgment is right. They shed our innocent blood. Now it's right that you give them blood uh, to drink. And so we have this little interlude here, maybe you know a little short reprieve for those who are on the earth going through this and we go right into the fourth bowl judgment before we go into that any questions up to this point of these judgments any questions at all good the fourth bowl verses eight and nine the fourth angel poured out his bowl on the sun and it was allowed to scorch people with fire they were scorched by the fierce heat And they cursed the name of God who had power over these plagues. They did not repent or give him glory. The fourth angel pours out his bowl. The first three bowl judgments happened on the earth. This one happens to the sun or happens uh, in the uh, universe there. This judgment intensified the heat of the sun so severely that people were burnt as a result of it. It seemed as if the atmosphere was on fire. If they were to be outside, the, the air itself would be so hot that it would be, it would be burning them. It would hurt them. Uh, the sun intensity of the sun was so hot that they were getting second to thir- third degree burns. All right? So, add this to the fact that these other three bull judgments, well, they're still in play. They haven't gone away. The sores have not been healed. None of the blood water has been taken away. And now we have this extreme heat pouring down on the earth. And what would be the ramifications of that? Well, I don't know if I want to smell cooked blood. uh, Rotting animals in intense heat. The disease that would come from that, the putridness of it but then add on to it this fact that we still have polar caps that if the sun was that intense that they would start melting at a rapid rate and the levels of the oceans and the seas and the rivers and the lakes would all rise and so you would have this putrid disgusting blood water dead animals now moving miles inland as they flooded uh, all of the coastal lands all the coastal areas there makes you want to have a house in California doesn't it (laughs) right on the beach right okay Um, after these four rapid and horrible judgments okay think about this and think about this fact as well let me me read this this to you in verse number 9 again because this is mind boggling okay They were scorched by the fire, the fierce heat. And what did they do? They cursed the name of God who had power over these places. They recognized, and they have recognized several times up to this point, through the tribulation period, they recognized that it is God Almighty that is doing this. They recognize that. They know that. And don't you think... That if you have boils and you have blood in all the water and you have uh, scorching heat and and your life is so miserable, God save me, get me out of this. You're the only one that can because you're the one that's doing this. The one who has the power to cause the judgment has the power to save you from the judgment. But what do they do? They curse him. They will not repent specifically so they will not give him any glory whatsoever. Now, man doesn't repent, and we see, we've seen already that the Antichrist is the one who really has been the one predominantly up to this point blaspheming the name of God, but here now we have the people of the earth, those who are being uh, tortured by these judgments, they now start blaspheming the name of God. Do you see the continual wickedness of these people, of their heart, uh, of of where it is? Here the worshipers have taken on the characteristics of the Antichrist, of the one that they worship. They become hateful and wicked as the one they worship. They will not repent. Why? You know why they don't repent? Out of spite. Isn't that crazy? Out of spite. And more because... They have become consumed by complete evil. They will not turn from their sin. Rather, they refuse to repent in order to ensure that God will not receive any glory whatsoever. Man, the hardness and the wickedness of their heart to endure that. Now, I want to take this and parallel something uh, tonight because I want you to, to see this. For me here, and then we're going to see in verse number 21 as well, the same type of scenario. These two verses to me, this is for me only, but to me, describes the person who is cast into hell. Now I recognize these people aren't in hell, they're still on the earth, they're still getting this judgment and torment from God, yet their hearts are so hard and they are so consumed with wickedness that nothing will draw them into repentance and everything will drive them to further sin. Further sin. The wickedness and the hatred of their heart towards God breathes and continually breeds more hatred and anger towards God. They never come out of this cycle of wickedness and hatred. They never stop cursing God. They never stop blaspheming His name. They never stop shaking their fists in the face of God because that is now what their heart is completely consumed by. And the person that dies and goes to hell, that is what their heart is going to be consumed with. If you have ever, ever wondered why hell has to be eternal, the answer is right here. Hell has to be eternal because I am convinced beyond a shadow of a doubt that the person that goes to hell never stops sinning. Never. Never. All through their time, through eternity, they curse God. They don't want God to save them. They don't want to have anything with God. They blaspheme His name. They're angry, and wickedness completely consumes them. And as a result of that, they are, stay there. Now, there have been church teachings that have been out there that says that if a person dies and goes to hell, then, then eventually the torment of hell is going to cause them to call out to God and to be saved. Well, do we see that happen here? No. We see them beginning, getting worse as a result of this. And this is just the judgment of God on the earth. I mean, we're, the, the judgment in hell is a thousand times worse there. So I want you to understand, and it's, it's very important to understand, that when we leave this life, if we don't know Jesus Christ, this is our eternity. This is what hell is. Hell is a place void of God's grace, God's mercy, God's love. It is only a place of God's judgment and wrath where the heart of man will become so hard and so wicked and so vile and so angry that he will curse God for all of eternity and never have any peace. John told us earlier in in Revelation that they they are tormented day and night, 24 hours. Church, this is why we need to be fervent about sharing the gospel. This is not a little thing. This is not a wimpy thing. This isn't, oh, well, you know, they're going to go down to hell and have their big party. No, they're not. We'll be down with my friends and we'll be hanging out with my friends and and partying. It's going to be a cool place. No, it's not because Satan is not in charge of hell. He is being tortured just like everybody else. He is being tormented in a depth of hell that we'll never see, praise God, or anybody will ever see because it's it's declared for him. But listen, any level of hell is going to be horrible for the person that is there. And church, this is the blessing of revelation. This is exactly why the Bible says that there's a blessing for those of us that study this. That blessing is this. Praise God, if we know Jesus, we don't go there. But we have a mission to get the message out. And we can't play games with it! We're talking about eternity! That's why this is so important. and so huge. Sorry, I got preaching again. But anyways, this is important. Do you get how important it is? It's not a little thing. This is why God says it's so important that we live our lives right and we share the gospel every chance we get. That our life preaches the gospel in everything we do and every way that we act and our voice preaches the gospel every time we have a chance to tell it, to share the good news. We are just the messengers. The Holy Spirit is the one who does the saving. But if we don't do the messaging or giving it out, the Holy Spirit can't do His part of saving, right? That's how God designed it. So we've got to be fervent about that. All right, we're four four bowls in. Let's go to the fifth bowl, the fifth judgment. Verse 10. The fifth angel poured out his bowl on the throne... Of the beast, that's the Antichrist, and his kingdom was plunged into darkness. And people gnawed their tongues in anguish and cursed the God of heaven for their pain and sores. They did not repent of their deeds. Do you see a pattern? Fifth angel pours out his bowl, and this judgment is focused on the Antichrist and his kingdom. Do not forget, don't forget. Everything is balling up here, okay? So we still have these four previous judgments that are taking place. Now this fifth one, there's no reprieve at all. We now have extreme and complete darkness that takes place. This judgment is poured out on the kingdom of the Antichrist. Question, where is the kingdom of the Antichrist? Well, the kingdom of the Antichrist is the whole (laughs) worth. He's the ruler of the world. He's the dictator of the world. So the whole earth is plunged into into darkness here. So let's get a full effect of what's happening at this point. People are covered with swollen, festering, painful sores. All water on the earth has turned to the blood of a dead man. All sea life is rotting in the ocean. The heat is so intense that people are being severely burned. And now you can't see your hand in front of your face. It's completely black, completely dark. And so John describes the situation as being so horrible and so painful that people are gnawing their tongue. They are biting their tongue because of the pain that they are in. I mean, I don't I don't know how you do I don't I hate when I bite my tongue. But this is a person that they're chewing on their tongue. It's just, it hurts so bad there. And I've never experienced that kind of pain. I pray pray that I never ever do. But man, you know, it's the idea of of gnawing their tongue or, or maybe the picture of gnashing their teeth, grinding them together because the pain is so great there. And still, will they repent? Not on your life not going to happen they curse god they continue the sixth bowl verse number 12 and then the sixth angel poured out his bowl on the great river euphrates and its water was dried up to prepare the way for the kings from the east and I saw coming out of the mouth of the dragon and out of the mouth of the beast and out of the mouth of the false prophet three unclean spirits like frogs. For they are demonic spirits performing signs who go abroad to the kings of the whole world to assemble them for battle on the great day of, the, of God, of God the Almighty. And we see here the words of Jesus, Behold, I am coming like a thief. Blessed is the one who stays away, keeping his garments on, that he may not go about naked and be seen exposed. And they assembled them at the place that in Hebrew is called Armageddon. So now the sixth bowl is another unique bowl, interesting one, uh, that is a bowl of, of judgment, but, but preparation. And so we see here that he pours out this bowl, On the river Euphrates. The river Euphrates uh, is one of the borders of Israel there. It's the largest river that they have. It's the most significant river in the Middle East. This river forms the eastern boundary of the land that God gave Israel. And it begins uh, in the ice and snow-covered caps of Mount Ararat and travels 1,800 miles into the uh, the Persian Gulf. Okay? So due to the previous five judgments, the river will also be turned into blood. So it's, it's full of blood. And its banks will be greatly overflowing due to the, due to the melting ice caps uh, that are taking place. The ice on the mountaintops as well. So th- this will be um, overflowing. You can't get across it. Um, blood in the animals and all that stuff are pouring out and, and stuff like that. And so when this angel pours out this judgment here, It dries up that river because it would be completely impossible for anybody to cross it. It would be so overflowed. You can't build bridges over it. It's too wide. You can't put boats because the current is too strong. Plus, it's all bloody and dead animals and all that kind of stuff as well. So, when this judgment comes, this river is completely dried up. And the whole purpose of this judgment is, and this is interesting, is... To aid Satan and the Antichrist so that they can more easily move their troops into place for the final battle of Armageddon. So, God dries up the river Euphrates so that the Antichrist and Satan can fulfill their plan of attacking Israel. Right? Say, why in the world would he do that? Don't fret. (laughs) It's a trap. (laughs) God is setting them up. He's setting them up to fall. You know, Satan's still stupid, no matter when, what time it is. You know, God's still smarter there. He's setting them up for a trap. They're going to go to the Euphrates. We can get across. We can go get them because the Antichrist and all of uh, all the king. Now, remember, the Antichrist is the world dictator, but he has kings in places and stuff, leaders in places to rule over these areas and stuff. And, and they're going to try to move in because the Antichrist is broken his covenant with the children of Israel, and he's going to come and attack now Israel, Jerusalem, all of that there. And God is setting up to allow them to come. all right. And while it seems that the Antichrist plans are working perfectly, don't worry. God's got his plan. Now we see something (laughs) that comes from a horror film. John sees out of the mouth of Satan, out of the mouth of the Antichrist, and out of the mouth of the false prophet. Again, this is symbolism. These three demons come out of their mouth. They, they, They he sees them coming out of their mouth because it is these the, it is Satan the Antichrist and, and the false prophet that are empowering these three demons. Remember again, Satan, the Antichrist, and the false prophet make up the unholy Trinity God Satan mimics everything of God. we see these unclean demons come now John says that he sees them as frogs again they're not frogs this is symbolism again because a frog was a very unclean animal to the children of Israel and he's emphasizing the wickedness the uncleanness the evilness of these three um, demons that are so manipulative that are used by uh, Satan, the Antichrist, and the false prophet to go over to the kings of the east to entice them to be a part of his plan to go and destroy Israel. And so they go over there with whatever powers they are granted, with whatever quote-unquote signs and miracles they can do to entice everybody to come over, and they bring them over, and it works, and everybody's coming over to cross the Euphrates to go into battle here. And while this is happening, then, in the midst of all of this horror and judgment, God himself, Jesus speaks here, and he offers some comfort to the saints who are still alive, okay? So remember, if you're here in the tribulation period, even though you've turned and accepted Christ as your Lord and Savior, and you're still alive, you are enduring all of these judgments, You didn't get the source because you didn't take the mark of the beast. But you're still dealing with the blood. You're still dealing with the heat. You're still dealing with the darkness. You, You are dealing with all of this. You're not spared any of it because you are in this time period. And so if you can imagine these, these people that have uh, accepted Christ and then now they're also in hiding because the Antichrist is seeking to find them and to kill them and they're, and they're trying to stay alive in, in the midst of this and, uh, and trying to scrounge for food and trying to scrounge for water. They're, they're just like nomads trying to survive in all of this because everything that was there for them to survive was completely taken away there. And so God, recognizing where they are, says these words and so as we've noted all the way through revelation God will have a saved remnant from Israel and will have saved Gentiles who will endure to the end so that's important and for those saints God sends an encouragement he first says I'm coming as a thief now we've heard that terminology before Paul uses that terminology to reference uh the rapture of the church Jesus is coming as a thief in the night. We don't know when his return is going to be. It's imminent. He's coming for the church. This is not referencing the rapture at all. This is referencing the the quickness of what Jesus is saying here. What he's saying, he's saying, hold on just a little bit longer. We're almost done. I'm coming quick. My return is quick. I am coming. We are at the end. This is the very end. Just hold on a little bit longer, and I am coming for you. All right? Look to him, know that he's coming, know that you are getting ready to move from this horrible tribulation into the millennial kingdom of God. And so he says here to them, he uses this terminology, and I love that even in the midst of all this, there's kind of a little bit of levity here, right? Uh, Behold, I am coming like a thief. Blessed is the one who stays awake and keeps himself clothed. (laughs) Don't be caught with your pants down. (laughs) That's what he's saying, right? He's saying, be ready, be prepared, be looking. I'm coming quickly. We're almost to the end. Don't worry about getting ready for bed and then having to get up in the morning and get dressed, sleep in your clothing. Be prepared, all right? At any moment, any time, I am coming to bring this to a complete end to the battle of Armageddon, my second coming. Okay, so that's what he's saying. And then we see here also at the very end. "...that the three deceiving demons will gather all of the nations to the place which in the Hebrew is called Har Okay, Which is really, so that we understand, all scholars believe that this is referring to the plain of Megiddo. The plain of Megiddo is um, about 60 miles north of Jerusalem. Over the centuries there have been hundreds of battles fought in this region... Um, this valley is the main focal point of the Battle of Armageddon. There will also be some skirmishes in Jerusalem as well, but this is where the main Battle of Armageddon. You remember we talked about uh, a, a, week so ba- or, yeah, a week or so back, yeah, week or so back about the, the blood being to the height of the bridle of the horse. Uh, well, this valley here with the two hills on the side—that's what it's talking about. This valley will be filled with the carnage of the dead at, at, during the Battle of Armageddon. There, and we will we will see that battle uh, here in the next upcoming chapters. So everything is prepared, everything is ready for this climactic war, and then the seventh bowl is poured out on the earth. Verse 17, And the seventh angel poured out his bowl into the air, and a loud voice came out of the temple from the throne, saying, It is done. And there were flashes of lightning, rumblings, peals of thunder, and a great earthquake, such as there had never been since man was on the earth. So great was that earthquake. That the great city was split into three parts. And the cities of the nations fell and God remembered Babylon the great to make her drain the cup of the wine of of the fury of his wrath. And every island fled away and no mountains were to be found. And great hailstones, about 100 pounds each, fell from heaven on the people. And they repented. No. They cursed God. For the plague of the hail, because the plague was so severe. They actually say at the end, it's not fair. (laughs) Seventh bowl is poured out. I put this little note in there all the way through this whole study. I told you you haven't seen nothing yet. Here you see it. This is it. This is the biggest end, the calamity. A major ending here this judge is poured out on the air and a loud voice comes from the temple and god himself declares it is done my judgment my wrath has been completely poured out now even though it is complete and done we see even after he makes that statement there's still ongoing results that take place just briefly, but these ongoing results here. But the, the statement is similar to the final statement that Jesus made on the cross. Remember what Jesus said? It is finished. He completed his task. God is making the same st- statement here, saying, I have completed my past. The only, only difference here is that the work of Christ was for the redemption of man. And in the uh, pouring out of God, or it is done, is the pouring out of God's wrath uh, there. There. So the statement is completely opposite of Christ's statement in the fact that God's statement here brings doom to the unrepentant sinners. The adju- the, this judgment affected the atmosphere. There were flashes of lightning, sounds, and peals of thunder. Just like at the seventh seal, the seventh trumpet, now the seventh bowl judgment um, has this imagery of a thunderstorm. However, the two images of the thunderstorms of the previous two judgments are nothing compared to this Thunderstorm. The magnitude is by a hundredfold. The judgment also affects the earth. Now, we have seen through this revelation that there have been many, many, many earthquakes. Earthquake has just been kind of the, a standard thing that there's going to be an earthquake, there's going to be an earthquake, there's going to be an earthquake. Major uh, magnitude earthquakes, large earthquakes. But the point here, John himself says, and it is so absolutely amazing that the magnitude of this earthquake is so huge and so global that it totally changes the entire topography of the earth. Every continent moves. Everything is moved because of this earthquake. It is so big that the whole earth is transformed as a result of this earthquake, John calls it a great earthquake, such as there had not been since man came upon the earth. All through man's history of being on the earth, there has never been an earthquake of this magnitude. All right, it's like like God has that 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 ball there, and he just shakes it there. Now, what's so interesting about it uh, about this earthquake? Um, is the end result and the purpose of this earthquake is to restore the earth back to pre-flood conditions. You see, this judgment is a judgment and man is enduring the earthquake and there will be people that live through this earthquake, it's amazing. They still live through all of this. But the reason why that this earthquake takes place and God uses this earthquake is He is putting it back together for the millennial kingdom. What it's going to look like, the topography of the earth is going to be totally different than what it is now when we come into the millennial kingdom. Zechariah 14, 4 through 10 gives us uh, some Insight to this talks about when Jesus comes in the second coming that at the Mount of Olives will split in two. A new valley running east and west will take place. Springs of water will flow year around from Jerusalem. This will cause the desert to bloom like a rose. Jerusalem will be elevated, and everywhere else will be flattened there. Um, And that's why Jerusalem. When when he says here about this earthquake, Jerusalem will split into three sections. That's the great city there, Jerusalem. It will split up into three sections in preparation. For this, Now, it will still be devastating to the world. Cities of all nations will fall. There will not be a city standing. The capital city of the Antichrist, which is Babylon, is decimated. Every island is washed away. And every mountain is leveled on the earth. Totally changed. The whole earth is changed. And with all this devastation, there are still those... Who survive that will go into the millennial kingdom and the last judgment that is poured out on them are hailstones now how many of you have ever seen a golf ball size hail right some of us have seen maybe softball size hail I've seen a lot of little little hails but ha- little hails is that right how do you say? <laughs> hail okay um, but in North Dakota there were times when we got severe hail but even in southern Areas quite a bit. There's some big hail there. Um, you get hit with one; it's going to hurt. Okay. Now, the phrase that is given here when John says that these are about 100 pounds, what he's really saying is is that the weight of these, the measurement that is given here in the Greek, is really on the measurement of what a man, uh, a grown man, could actually carry, anywhere between 90 to 135 pounds. All right. So, hundreds is kind of good average here. All right. So, just so that you know. You get hit by one of these, you don't walk it off. Right? You're not going to live. All right? These aren't hailstones, they're hail boulders. That's what I'm going to call them hail boulders. All right? And so many will die, yet many will still be alive. Now, all of the judgments have been poured out seven seals, seven trumpets, and seven bulls. 21 consecutive judgments. that increase in severity all the way through, with extreme uh, devastation, continual death, carnage, stench, and all from the hand of God. Several times throughout this revelation, John has pointed out that the people understood that God was the one sending the wrath, that God was the one sending the punishment. And John has also pointed out that for every judgment, there has also been mercy and grace abundantly given to the people. With every single judgment, God has called those who receive the judgment to please accept His grace, to please turn to Christ. And the second you do, you will have heaven as your home. None of this will matter. Those who are alive at this point have seen everything. They have endured it all. They've made it to the end. Some have been saved and are hiding and awaiting the, uh, the complete end of this tribulation. However, the people listed uh, at the end in verse 21 are lost and amazingly stay lost. They curse God. They will not repent. Their heart is full of hatred. All of the judgments have passed and these people stand up with so much hatred and wickedness in their heart and they shake their fists in the face of God and curse Him to the end. We now see a picture of what God said when He said, the heart of man is deceitfully wicked, who can know it? If not for the grace of God, every single one of us would be in the same place. This is why it is so important that we make sure the good news of Jesus Christ makes it into our community and into our world. Listen, God is perfectly loving and perfectly holy. But as a holy God, sin must be judged and punished. God's judgment will perfectly equal the sinfulness of man. And if you read these judgments and feel that they are over the top, just remember those who do not turn to Christ and make it all the way through these judgments still hate God, still shake their fists in the face of God. And they will be doing that for all of eternity when they are cast into hell. So we have concluded the judgments, but we are not done with Revelation. Revelation isn't complete. We will be moving into uh, chapter uh, 17 and 18 next week. We'll be moving again into parenthetical uh, chapters that will deal with the, specifically the city of Babylon, the plan of the Antichrist uh, there, what that's going to look like. And we're going to go through uh, and see the fall of Babylon. And then we're going to move into um, what's going to happen in heaven. And we're going to see what's going to happen in the Millennial Kingdom. And then we're going to be done. So uh, still a few things going on, but a lot here. Any questions or comments tonight? On any of this. Pat? How does he give them word Oh, you're talking about uh, how does he give this word of encouragement that's given here? Um, I'm not a, 100% sure, other than it's written here. So they, they have it. I mean, we have the, the word of encouragement now. And so when we get there, they'll still have the Bible and they can read it uh, there. Um, but there's nothing that is, is given here that, that says how or if, if in a supernatural way or if this is part of the message, um, you know, the 144,000 will still be active and working there. I don't know if they'll be part of that. Uh, it doesn't really really tell us. It's a great question. How is that going to be given? Um, the only way that I can tell you right now is that we already have his words written there for that comfort, for that time there. So, uh, that's a good question. Anybody else? Any other questions? Do you see the urgency of getting the gospel out? The person that receives Jesus on this side of the tribulation period will never endure this. We will never see this. We will never watch it. We won't be a part of it. We won't have to go through it. We only know it in what God has told us. The worst thing that we have is to say, golly, that is going to be horrible. Right? But we have loved ones, we have friends, that if Jesus came right now, that's where they would be. That's where they would be. And as we said, there is a delusion It is not easier to receive Christ in that day and age. It's harder to do so. We see the wickedness of man, the hardness of their heart. Man will be turned towards that. They will believe the lie of the Antichrist. Now is the time. Jesus says, today is the day of salvation. So even in a room like this with most of you folks that I know, I don't know for sure whether or not you know Christ or not. You've given testimony, but only you can know that between you and God. And I'm begging you right now, don't play games with this. I believe with all of my heart that Jesus is coming very soon. Very, very soon. The signs are there. Don't play games. Know that you know that heaven is your home, that you have accepted Christ as your Lord and Savior. Please. Please. Father, thank you for our time tonight. Thank you for your word. Thank you for your gospel and your love and your salvation. Father, if there's anyone here listening in this room or online that doesn't know you lord that lord salvation is repenting of our sin asking forgiveness of the sin because we're all sinners putting our complete trust in your death and resurrection and asking you to come be lord of our lives and lord if we will do that by faith lord you will save us and so father i pray that will take place that will happen in the lives of those who hear this message Take us now this week and bring us back to worship you on Sunday, Lord, I pray in Jesus' holy name. Amen. God bless you. Have a wonderful night.